to The Tenderness Revolution, a podcast about the stories of kindness, compassion and empathy that play out in our lives, because these deeply moving experiences describe what it means to be human and invite us into a new way of thinking about the world and each other. I'm your host, writer and journalist Yvonne Gavin. And every episode, I'll be asking a new interviewee about a pivotal moment of tenderness that helped shape the course of their life. I'm here today with Clover Stroud, Sunday Times best-selling author of My Wild and Sleepless Nights, prolific journalist and mother of five, who lives in rural Oxfordshire in the UK, with her husband Pete and their family. Perhaps it's not surprising that Clover's Instagram feed is overflowing with images of her beautiful blonde children getting up to mischief and cute ponies wandering around her country kitchen, given the bohemian Wiltshire household that Clover grew up in. Herself one of five children. She counts the famous potter and businesswoman Emma Bridgewater among her siblings, along with the brilliant artist and founder of Gifford Circus, Nell Gifford, who tragically died from cancer at the end of 2019. Well known for writing about the way life feels, the rawness of new motherhood, the pain and heartbreak of losing her mother after decades spent in a coma following a horse riding accident, but also the joy and wonder of life. Clover is no stranger to tragedy, and yet she's one of those people who managed to articulate the beauty in everything and seem to be galvanised rather than paralysed by trauma. She's just finished writing her third memoir, The Red of My Blood, which comes out in March 2022. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed taking part in it because Clover really is a truly remarkable and inspiring person. Clover, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I've been really looking forward to talking with you. Thank you very, very much for inviting me. It's a complete privilege. Oh no, I'm really excited to hear about your new book because I absolutely love My World and Sleepless Nights. It's one of my favourite books and I just felt such a connection to you when I was reading it and I think it's like one of the only books I've read where it just completely described my experience of motherhood. And it's such a visceral read. And I mean, I just, I loved it. So tell us about your new book. You've just written a new memoir. I have, yeah. It's lovely hearing that about the motherhood book, My Wild and Sleepless Nights, because I really wanted to connect with people and I really wanted to truly describe what my experience of motherhood was like which I felt was sim- you know which other women were sharing which we often don't talk about which is like the darker side of it as well as the kind of the love and the you know extraordinary kind of miracle that it is so um, it makes me really really happy that you felt connected to it in that way it really I did um I've been a journalist for 20 years and I started writing memoirs in 2015 so before my world and sleepless nights I wrote another book called The Wild Other, which is yeah. kind of like kind of coming of age, I suppose. And I really love writing about the true, as true as you can, because obviously, you know, this is a book as well, so it is a kind of a version of life. But um, I really love trying to communicate and trying to kind of capture what things truly feel like and what the human experience truly feels like. 
at least my human experience, and I'm just a normal woman living in England, and I feel as though that experience is my experience would connect with other people really strongly. And with my third book, which I've just finished writing, it's called The Red of My Blood, and it's out in March. And it's, I didn't know I was going to write this book. In fact, I was kind of some way down the route of writing something different. But um, my sister, Nell, died in 2019, very suddenly. She had had cancer since 2015 and she had had bad cancer like stage four but she did have quite a positive prognosis she was going through a lot but we were all feeling quite kind of looking to the future yeah yeah and then suddenly she got liver failure caused by chemotherapy and she suddenly died very very quickly so it was a real for me it was like a massive I mean for all of us it was a huge it was a huge shock, even though she had a terminal illness. It was a massive shock. And I, I'm two years younger than Nell. And, and I sort of, the, just the disbelief of, and I lost my mother in 2013 as well. So I have been through, and mum had had a, a terrible accident when I was in my teen. When I was 16, mum had a terrible accident, which left her really brain damaged for the rest of her life, which was 22 years. So I have sort of like been through some you know, traumatic experiences, but yeah. now Steph really, I just felt like this is an unbearable, unendurable pain. And I remember thinking my life is over and I can, I will go on living. I will go on being a mum to my five kids. I will go on in my marriage. I will go on working, but I'm not really going to be present. I'm not going to oh. have a life now. I just didn't, really? I felt like death had, you know, taken it. Nell's death had taken it. Taken. And, yeah. And I was really interested as well by what that felt like, I suppose. And so a few months later, I started writing about it. And I knew, I knew that there would be a process, you know, I knew a process which I'm still in and which will, I will be in for the rest of my life, basically, of understanding her death and understanding my own life in relation to that, you know, however long I live for. So that was kind of what I wanted to write about was what it what it felt like what that first year so the book go runs from from her death from the moment of her death to the first year so it's not like a long-term look at you know 10 year 10 years post-death it's like the in the immediate aftermath and how we kind of survive this thing which feels like an unbearable pain which might cause our own you know the end of our own lives in some way but actually the kind of extraordinary thing of life I mean I can see we're talking on zoom and I can see there's a very colorful pillow very beautiful pillow behind your sofa and it actually makes me think a bit of my book because the cushion is covered in bright pink yellow green red flowers and in a way when you become close to death when you lose somebody you really love your life this is my experience it changes it it is completely broken but something breaks open inside it well which does change it in a strangely positive way and I would do anything to have my sister back but I wanted to explore what happens and what those changes are and why they can be positive and colorful and exciting as well as being you know something that almost make you want to die as well in order to go and go and find her I suppose so that's yeah that's that's what the book is about wow I've had some really, really, my editors read it, obviously, and a couple of other people have read it, and I've had some really, really amazing feedback from it. So I'm really excited to, like, 
have conversations with people about it yeah. as well. It must be really great that you can now because it's got to this stage with the book. But there's so much that I want to talk to you about with regards to what you've just said, because there's so many fascinating things that you've just touched on. But first of all, I just want us to just to talk about your moment of tenderness, because I think it's connected to all of this. Mm. So, you know, this podcast is called The Tenderness Revolution, and it's about these moments of tenderness that, you know, that we have in our life that shape us. There's this sense that essentially our lives are made up of all these stories that are stitched together. And when we shine a light on the scenes where we felt a profound sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves, like moments where we were felt seen or understood, or that we had a deeper relationship to the world around us, it's then I think that we're awakened to greater meaning and purpose. And that's why I really want to kind of focus on these moments, these tenderness moments in our lives. So please tell us about your moment of tenderness. Well, I was, um, I was walking around with my children and their ponies and stuff in the, in the kind of damp green English countryside. And I was really thinking about this and I was thinking, well, obviously motherhood is a moment of like massive, you know, that breaks something open to you, which is kind of like the ultimate tenderness, I suppose, childbirth and the pain and the glory and the kind of horror and the excitement, everything of it. But I felt that the moment the most recent and the most powerful for me was actually my sister's death. And I, I said to somebody the other day, oh, Nell had a very beautiful death. And they said, oh, death can't be beautiful. And I really, really disagree with that because death is, you know, it's fundamental to everything. It's something that we are all, apart from being born and we will die, those are the kind of two absolute certainties that we all share with one another. Yes. And Nell's death was... And I think the more that we face death and we look at it and we think about it and we kind of embrace it in some way or another, embrace might be quite a difficult thing to do. But if we if we really stare right at it and make it a part of our lives, I think our lives are richer for Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. And Nell's death was incredible. She died. I mean, she was a very she was a very unusual person. She had a circus. She was very tall, very strong incredibly creative, incredibly powerful, incredibly shy, incredibly glamorous, incredibly awkward, incredibly funny, incredibly private. She was like full of lots of contradictions yeah. basically. And she was because of this circus that she had, she was she had a certain, you know, she was like she had all obituaries in all the papers here, for example. Yeah. And, yeah. But people didn't really know her. They knew a version of like this woman who had you know, been to university and then started a circus, but that's actually really different from the person who yeah. was assistant. So they knew like the larger than life version, sort of. Yeah, yeah, but not the kind of this contradictory, interesting woman, basically. But her death was like her, it was like incredibly beautiful and powerful and magnificent and dramatic. And it was, you know, if you could stage manage your own death, it would be, she kind of really pulled it off. She shouldn't have been 46. I wish she'd been 96 when that happened. You know, she was way, way too young. But she had been in hospital for a few days. And then the doc, and she was she was being preparing to move back to hospital in London to see her regular oncologist there from the country where she was. And then suddenly she got liver failure. And so I spoke to her on Friday night and she said, yes, you know, I'll see you tomorrow and I'm going to pull through and we're going to have, you know, there's 
lots to happen still and life is going to go on and everything is going to be all right was basically what she was saying and we were making plans and then the following morning the hospital called me and said you'd have to come into hospital right now and then when I got there they said she's got a day to live so all of the family were around her and everybody was able to have a conversation with her and to have you know kind of profound and important conversations and then some of her friends came to see her after that and she wasn't really conscious at that point but the fact that I was able to be there. My dad was able to be there. My other siblings were able to be there, that we were able to kind of hold her. And we had this incredible experience of sitting with her throughout that night and reading to her and talking with each other. You know, some friends came and sang to her, read poetry to her. So it was really, it was really, really powerful. And then she, she went on Sunday evening and it was, I mean, it's hard talking about it even now sort of it will be coming up for two years in December 2021 but it's still it's hard very, to think about it. yeah. that's very recent yeah and the actual fact of having sat with somebody who you have known you know you've been babies together she was my older sister who you know we slept in the same bedroom the same bed and we had an incredible closeness we also had a really fiery relationship like I think it's easy to think, I sometimes think, I think if your sister's, it's a hot relationship. Yeah. It can be really powerful. Yeah. It can be a lot of competition yeah. and jealousy um, and, and love, which can, you know, the flick of a switch turn to kind of rage as yeah. well. And it's not all just old lying around and brushing each other's hair and, <laughs> and stuff like that. It's not in my experience anyway. It's No, but I think when there's depth in a relationship, you're going to have that. You're going to have those highs and lows and you're going to have mm-hmm. the fights. And, you know, when you really know someone, you have that, when you have that yeah. intense relationship. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But I think that that moment has I mean I have been I as I said I have been through a lot of trauma I was 16 when mum had her had her accident yeah the riding accident yeah and she was in a coma for several months and then when she woke up from the coma she was completely changed and she couldn't walk or talk or communicate she was in that state for 22 years so I had and Nan and I had lived through that together you know I think the fact of having been through that together and then it just seems inconceivable that she should then die as well. That oh, should then oh. die, you know, and it's so awful that it, it's so awful, but it is also, and there are other things as well. I mean, I've had, there are other people who I've been really close to who I've lost. Mum's sister was killed in a terrible accident in 2017. And there have been lots of other things, but mum and Nell for me, they're like big, big, you know, they're, But Nell's death particularly is the thing that has, I think, it has changed me and has changed my life and changed my kind of way that I communicate with other people. It's changed my conception of the world in a positive way. uh, Well, I mean, there's a couple of things. Firstly, I just wanted to say that what astounds me about you, and I, I, I find this incredible about you, is, you know, these are deep, dark tragedies you know, that have happened to you, losing a mother and a sister. I mean, they are huge milestones. For most people, it's often hard to recover, hard to imagine recovering from something like that. I mean, to have your mother go through an accident at such a young age, really, you lost her when she had the riding accident. And then you didn't know if she was going to survive. And then she did end up surviving for a long time, but she wasn't 
she wasn't really your mother in the same way. And then to lose your sister, who was also, you know, she was so young and she was your companion in life. And I think for me, what astounds me is the way that you feel your feelings. And I think so many people distract and they numb and they are so afraid of their feelings that they can't bear to feel them. And you have literally gone to these deepest, darkest places and you have still had the courage to feel and to to feel so intensely that you've actually made made these feelings into pieces of art, pieces of literature, that you've been able to use those experiences and turn them into something that's incredibly beautiful, but also so rich and helpful to all of your readers. And I'm just really fascinated in in how you do it and, and where does that come from? Because somehow you have this capacity to feel. And I'm just really fascinated in whether that's because of what happened with your mum, because you were so young, or do you think it goes back before that? I think it does. I think I was quite a sensitive child. I remember I was very close to my cousins when I was a little kid. And I remember, you know, when they left, for example, if they'd been staying with us for the holidays, I remember like crying and crying and this feeling of sadness of like losing them. Of When was I going to see them again? And it might be not until the next holidays, which was like six weeks ago. And that seemed like an incredibly long time. So, and I was really, really, really close to mum and mum really loved me really. I'm the youngest of five children. She loved all of us. And yeah. And I suppose I just got the last, you know, the last bit of mothering, I suppose. She really, really, she really did love me. And so I think that she kind of, I mean, talking about tenderness, I think that she really nurtured and inspired a certain tenderness and a toughness as well, because I am quite, I think it was maybe the the accident that made me tough, but I was 16 when it happened. And it's such a, I mean, I've got a son who's 20. And when he got to 16, I found it. I actually found it really hard. I just looked at Jimmy and I thought, my God, if you had to go through the loss of home, the loss of mother, the loss of the sort of centre of the hub of family life, I just, I found it really upsetting kind of imagining it, the same thing. But I do think because I was 16, I think it was like, I mean, I quite often when I think, I think in, when I visualise emotion, I get very strong images of stuff, of, like I can describe emotion, I know, really, in a really powerful way when I'm writing. Yes. I can create it in images yeah. and colours. I do think that when I was 16, it was almost like I was like literally broken open. And I do yeah. think that the kind of sense of trauma, and I write about this in The Wild Other, kind of went into my bone marrow, went into my DNA. It's completely drenched through me. And maybe because mum, you know, she didn't, it was such a weird thing that happened to her. She didn't die. She got brain damage. So she, so the sort of loss and the trauma, it was as though someone had just pressed pause. You know, it was just like a long note that didn't hold, like holding a note down. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody dies, the note is played and then it, it's, you know, it's, and then it's finished. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. When, with mum, it was just like a non, almost like a, you know, like an organ in, in a church. Yeah. Really, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of, it just resonated across mm. my life for, the, for nearly two and a half decades. And of course, you know, when she died 22 years later, having been in this state, it's not as though the kind of 
you live with the traumatic experience, but the trauma doesn't suddenly end. It's with you forever. And I do think I have, I mean, a lot of people talk about PTSD, but I, I certainly have like a, a traumatized response inside me. But I don't feel, I actually feel that's been a really positive thing in my life. And it's really enabled my creativity and creativity. Sorry, I sounded very American. There. And it's really enabled my, it's really motivated me. You know, it's made me reach out at life. And that's really, really interesting. I was actually listening to another podcast, The Grief Cast. And she was interviewing a brother and sister. And what really fascinated me, they were talking about the death of their, both their parents actually had died when they were much younger. And one thing that really stood out to me, and I wonder if this applies to you, was that they were saying that the loss of their parents was so, it was so kind of all encompassing that it was almost like they had a kind of a fuck it approach to life after that they were like nothing nothing is ever gonna touch me and they kind of went on to almost live their lives so deeply and fully because of those experiences and it did remind me of you because it was as though they were like none of this shit's important you know I know what's important now so they both went on to have careers that were really creative and they they decided almost in unconscious way that they were only going to do things that really mattered to them and they both still feel like that sort of 20 or more years on they both feel like they full fully live their lives and that part of grief really fascinates me especially I think grief of a parent at a young age yeah I mean and it does have different effects on different people and you know it can also prevent you you know it could it could make you live a more fearful life I suppose yeah yeah yeah. what it is that makes you you know then be incredibly nervous I mean I always find it interesting with horses I ride horses all the time mum's accident was a riding accident and sometimes people say to me oh I yes I like horses I went riding when I, but, but then when I was, you know, a teenager, I, I fell off or had a bad accident. I've never ridden again. And I've really experienced, you know, a terrible accident of my mother. And I've had many riding accidents myself, but I would never stop riding. My nerve may change, but like what makes somebody say, well, I'm not going to do that again because it was a bit dangerous, which is kind of like the rational, sensible thing to do. I'm going to go and find something else I'm interested in. What is the thing that makes you think, because the horse stuff for me, you know, we grew up with ponies and then mum had this accident. And then I went off, I rode racehorses. I went off to Texas and lived on a ranch and rode in rodeos. I did a lot of riding in Southern Russia in quite dangerous circumstances. For me, horses were always like a way of going into different communities and meeting people and connecting with people. But like I did choose quite dangerous horse life to go for. And that's interested people as to like, why do you kind of go after the danger but I think that in answer to your question I think there's like an element of that for me I didn't want the traumatic experience this awful thing that happened to kind of ruin my life I didn't want it to define my life yeah in a way it did define my life because I think it also motivated me to go and do this yeah but I didn't want to like I wanted to almost be like you know just I'm going to kind of face this I suppose I'm not going to I'm not going to stop me I'm not going to live a fearful life. Yeah. I'm going to live a life by half measures. 
And I think with Nell's death, I feel that as well as like recently. And I think a lot of people have felt this in the last year because, you know, so many of us have had to like reevaluate so much. Mm. I'm 46 now and I just feel like I'm going to do the things that I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, craft the experience of my life as much as I can for me and my household, my husband and my kids of the thing that matters to me, you know, and the kind of experiences that matter to me. And, um, try not to and try to connect with people who matter to me and try to try to live in a way that kind of honors that sense of the I suppose like my childhood in a way the kind of adventure and love and being brave and resilient those things really matter to me wow. so to try and kind of bring as much of that into my life as possible I and think do you're... the fun stuff yeah <laughs> fun stuff yeah like I'm just going to take the afternoon off and go riding all afternoon. Or I'm just going to not answer all those boring emails that I didn't have to deal with. I'm, just not, I'm going to do, or I'm not going to see that person who is like, who I don't really want to see and who's not really my friend. I'm not just going to go and see them because I think I should be. Polite. Just because I think I should. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're, you're living your life from, I sometimes think that there's almost two ways to approach life. There's from a place of duty. I think especially with motherhood, coming from a place of duty you know when duties what's inspiring you or not inspiring you but pushing you forward or from a place of almost like release and love I suppose ultimately and I don't feel that you live your life from a place of duty (laughs) I think that it's so kind of authentically you know you're inspired and then you you go with that and I, I think it's just all part of this connection you have with your feelings your emotions and how you're so it's all a visceral experience to you but I suppose I oh sorry my emotions yeah feeling my emotions mm. is a really really important thing for me definitely is that how your mum lived did she live like that do you think you learned that from her or do you think it's just you mum was very I hate the word authentic, but I don't know what else to use in this context. She genuinely, you know, she was herself. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. She, like she wasn't, she wasn't wacky or wild or anything like that, but she was unconventional. And, right. And she sort of enabled us and encouraged us to be the people that we wanted to be. And I think that I don't have, I don't like fakeness. I don't like things for show I hate class you know I hate snobbery so much I hate the class kind of stuff in this country I want to connect with people in a a real way I suppose and I think that she did sort of encourage that in us but I don't think she was also of a generation where they didn't really I mean she'll be in her 80s now they didn't really like go into their emotions like we do and I was talking to a friend of hers recently who just said we just didn't talk about she'd been reading my book and really enjoying it she just said when she'd been a mum with mum you know and at the same time there'd been young mothers together she'd we just didn't talk about that kind of stuff at all yeah she was like saying it was a shame that we didn't so I don't think mum I don't think it was but she did like she did encourage this sort of sense of originality authenticity yeah being yeah yeah I was talking with a friend yesterday about motherhood and I think we were talking about how for me I think the job as a mother is to just try and see your children and actually fully see them and then just help them to be who they are 
as opposed to I think what's often people often feel this pressure that they need to I know give their kids everything so that because they're they won't know who they are so they can have all these different experiences and then they can choose and then I think there's a lot of anxiety and it can be a bit frenzied because you're just kind of pushing all these different things on your child and there's anxiety that they're not doing this and they're not good at this and they're not good at everything and I think that's kind of actually unrealistic because firstly well I think one of the other things is your children aren't you and I think that's something that I feel really strongly and it's taken me a while I mean my eldest is nearly 16 and she's so different to me she's very very like her dad I think it's just been a process of of understanding learning to understand her and who she actually really is and then just let her be who she is and experience the world the way she experiences it which is very different to me she she has a very different lens to me and yeah I think maybe that's what your mum did for you she maybe saw you and just kind of helped you to go in the direction that she knew you instinctively wanted to go in rather than trying to mold you into something like a version of her yeah I think your observations on on what our roles are as mothers as parents are really really spot on and I think it's really it's actually really hard to do you know we like to think Oh, you know, we, we you know nurture our children and allow them to be themselves, but there's so much pressure for them to perform well at school and learn oh, languages. And so much learn. pressure, yeah. And this, that and the other. And seeing them and knowing that your children are not you, they are not versions of you. Your daughter is not a version of you just because she's a girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes a long time to learn. And I think yeah. it's kind of quite a actually. Yeah. And I was asked recently, because so I do a journalist as well, I was asked recently to, to do a feature about that whole mini-me, would I do a shoot with me and my daughter? Oh, uh, uh, interesting. I wouldn't do it, because I actually uh, really disagree with the kind of hashtag mini-me thing. And I think that yeah. your child is something separate from Yeah, separate. yeah, and yeah. And it is, you know, we should enable that and encourage that rather yeah. than kind of push them into this idea that they're little versions of ourselves yeah yeah so I think I think that what you said is really really true and it's an endless kind of learning experience yeah. as a parent oh gosh it just mind. goes on and on yeah yeah I, I actually think at birth you know sort of I think I knew it when I gave birth to my first child I've got three but I kind of know it even more now looking back on the birth yeah. that when they're born this is how I experienced it anyway, that they are who they are. Like in that moment, the first moment you meet them and you look at them in the eyes, like this, the person that I saw in each of their eyes at that moment is exactly who they are now. Like they were fully formed. They were there. So this sense of we have to mold them and shape them. And I don't actually think it's true. I think you need to support them and just love them and be there for them but this kind of sense of like a they're like a lump of clay and you mold them into something I I don't think so but it I think I kind of it's weird because I sort of knew that and I was in my 20s as well when I had my first child and it wasn't planned and it was like a huge thing I, my husband and I had been together for five years but still it was like quite a thing to get my head around but I think I knew in that moment that 
she was fully formed and all I had to do was just to kind of nourish her and nurture her. But then somehow I forgot that because of the pressures of society and the conditioning and I was pulled in all these different directions. And that's where the fear and the anxiety comes from, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think the thing of allowing them to be and also listening to them, like truly listening to them and continuing through teenage life to kind of communicate with them. And that was one of the things that I wanted to write about in My Wild and Sleepless Nights was my fifth child, who is now four, was born when my now 20-year-old child was going into adolescence and getting into adolescent trouble and smoking weed and like just doing normal things that a teenager does. But when it first happens and you've got a newborn baby as well, it's like quite a playful. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that bit in the book. (laughs) I really wanted to, for the message from the book to be like, communicate with your children, see them who they are, let them be the people that they are and also let them go, you know, let they are going to separate from you. Yeah. You have to like allow that to happen, but to kind of, to love them, like loving your children. That sounds like it's an easy thing. It is an easy thing. Yeah. That sometimes means just like giving them a break. Yeah. And that expectation we were just talking about basically. yeah I really got that in the book when Jimmy and you went to the school and, and you had to kind of go and have this meeting and I could almost feel like the tension <laughs> in my body like oh god a meeting with the school you know and then but then you know you managed to find help him find his thing you didn't kind of hold it against him and you didn't see it as a slur on you and I think that's also so tempting parents like how could you do this to me but actually you know it's not really about you it's them and each of these people are who they are and you 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 can guide them as much as you can but ultimately they are going to make their own decisions definitely definitely and it's been you know Jimmy's 20 now in fact he's going to be 21 this year which is amazing and he is having had a difficult time where he was expelled and like, you know, just, it is normal though. I think that was the other thing I wanted to write about. Like when all this, you know, when the wheels come off a bit in adolescent life, it's just, just like, remember your own adolescence, what you were doing at the same time and don't judge your children. And knowing him as a young adult and watching him kind of getting through the pandemic and how amazing he's been and the different things that he's done and seeing him growing into this, man this young man is just such a beautiful experience it's such a privilege as his mother and I look back now on things like his GCSE results or not doing his violin practice which I tried to make him do for about 12 years which he never did I still try to make him do it and (laughs) (laughs) it really 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 doesn't matter and then Dolly my daughter who's 17 you know she's completely different again and she's Mm. completely her own person Mm. And I don't know, it's very easy, especially when they're younger, to get quite caught up in the kind of drudgery of it, the repetition of it, Mm. the, the, um, you know, it can be really boring or doing the same thing again and again and again. And I've really loved, I love all of the ages that they are, but um, I have actually loved the teenage bit and how fun it is and um, how difficult it can be, but how like massively rewarding and I was looking at pictures that I was posting on Instagram some pictures of myself at Jimmy's age wearing the same kind of hat that he was wearing and yeah it's just funny you know <laughs> feeling 
everything, life rolling life cycles. Yeah. 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 And actually, I, feel, I, I was talking to Nell about this, you know, not very long ago, two years ago, I suppose, saying, God, isn't it a relief? Like people like Jimmy are <laughs> coming up and, you know, behind us. And there's like a, this younger generation. And it must, as you get older and older, that feeling of like the younger people that it's all being handed on to. I think that must be a great feeling. I'm not that old. I'm only 46. But I love the thought of Jimmy and his generation, who I think are an amazing generation. I think they're so emotionally switched on. Yes, they are. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I I wanted to ask you about something that I felt when I was reading My World and Sleepless Nights was that I feel you have this great sort of compassion for women and this, this real like sense of like, you know, I of trying to express the fullness of it because there's so much, I think, in being a woman, I think, especially right now, especially when you've got children and there's so many of different roles that we have to juggle. And there was a bit in the book where you were in the church hall. I think you were waiting for your daughter, I think after ballet, and there you were listening to a conversation between two women. And one of them was talking about how she had given up her job as a molecular scientist or something, and she was going to get a part-time job in a shop because it fit around the kids. And when I read it, it didn't feel like you were judging her. It felt like you were saying, this is what society does to women. This is the pressure that we're put under when we become mothers. And it's like we were just saying before, you know, I don't think we're encouraged to just see our children fully and support them. I think we're told you have to do this and you have to do this. And if you don't, you're not being a good enough parent and you're not doing it right. And I don't know, it's almost as though society crushes women when they become mothers. Is that what you were trying to say? Yeah. Well, one of the things, I mean, what I was trying to point out within that is the sacrifices that women make and how yeah. monumental those sacrifices are yeah because that woman had been yeah she was a molecular scientist and I remember so clearly overhearing this conversation and she said she was going to get a job I think in one of the super in Waitrose because there, there was a good discount yeah able to sh Christmas shopping for her children yeah. and fit it in around the children's holidays yeah. yeah and I thought about the sacrifices that she was making and, and I watched her sitting outside you know, ballet week after week after week, waiting whilst looking after younger children as well, whilst I was doing it too. And I actually contrasted it in the book to I'd recently been sent to like interview for a magazine, a kind of, you know, so-called macho, brave TV explorer. You know, let's just call him one of the TV celebrities who you see on, you know, going yeah. across the countries. Yeah. Talking about how brave he was and how amazing and how yeah. brave it was constantly about how bloody brave he was and I just thought <laughs> you think that's brave like being a you know he's probably got a film crew with him anyway you try spending a week looking after a, or a day oh looking after a baby and a toddler and a preschooler on your own and then tell oh me absolutely and he probably has someone looking after his children for him so that he can go off and do those things yeah. <laughs> and I I wanted to um I really really felt it was important as well also because my first book had been about lots of stuff I'd done out in the world and you know riding in rodeos and going off to war zones and things like that and people said oh you were so brave but that wasn't 
in writing the second book, I really wanted to say to get through the days as a mother and to do it with love and imagination and creativity and energy requires so much of your personal resources. It requires so much, yeah. So much. And those kind of frontiers that you face every day in domestic life, every bit as challenging as the frontiers, you know, out in the world. And that was a really important kind of message for me, I suppose. Mm. And to applaud women for what they're doing because of that. And it is women. I know that there are men doing it. But you go to the school gates in this country and it's like predominantly women. Whether that's a granny, a mum, a nanny, a childminder, you know. I know, I agree, absolutely. And it reminds me of something else that I heard. I was listening to another author talk about so she actually has neurodiverse kids I think one of her children's quite autistic and she's a single mum and she's also she's a writer and she was talking about how frustrated she gets when people say to her you're so frantically busy and you know you're making life difficult for yourself because you're doing all this work and she says well but work is my that's my solace. Like that's the place I go to feel like me. And if I can't feel like me, then I won't have anything left to give and I'll just fall apart. But I think there's often, that's often not understood about motherhood, how much you have to give and how you have to give yourself something in order to be able to give and and often work, especially if you're creative, that's the place that you need to go. Yeah, I was having a conversation about exactly this yesterday, about, for me, that, like, way of communicating and a way of having a place to explore ideas and connect with other people. You know, my work is through writing, and I feel... But whatever you do, whether it's through hairdressing or writing or dog walking or being a molecular scientist, if you're doing something that, you know, makes you feel rewarded by it and you and that might be the way it enables you to communicate with people or care for people or you know push boundaries whatever it is I don't think it matters what it is I'm not saying that one thing is you know no No, it doesn't I just think that like finding the thing that you want to do that yeah yeah um, and it could be a really simple thing it doesn't have to be like a big profound thing but if that is a thing for you that works then then what a privilege and, and, you know, what a joy in a way it is to have that. And I would feel, because I've got friends who don't work at all and do motherhood full time, and I just feel as though it must be incredibly hard, much harder than doing motherhood whilst writing books and doing journalism at the same time, which is what I do. At least I get a kind of a place to sort of breathe out, yeah, and be yourself. Yeah, yeah, I definitely found that for me, I was a freelance journalist in London for about 10 years, before we moved away and when we moved overseas I couldn't I just couldn't work there was no space for me and also I had a nine-month-old but I definitely lost a part of myself and I I went through a period of feeling like I didn't recognize myself or I had all these kind of strange sensations of who am I when my whole environment has changed like everything that I knew that defined me has gone And now here I am with this role that's everything and there's nothing else. And it was really disorientating and I really missed work. And, you know, I've only, I've been going back to it gradually, but the more I go back into it, the more I feel like myself. It's, it's strange. Yeah. 
Yeah, such a relief. That feeling is such a relief, isn't it? And I, I also personally think it's really important. My children are all going to have to work. Then, you know, their work is not going to not be an option. Even if you did inherit like a fortune, I actually can't imagine anything worse. Creating that space for yourself and working out who you are and like kind of making the mistakes is really, really important. It's really, really like the stuff of life. It is kind of everything, I suppose. And and I, so I think that it matters a lot that my children see me working and see me satisfied and enjoying it, but also see me having challenges and overcoming the challenges and just, de- you know, dealing with work life basically is, I think it's really, really important. I yeah. Think it's kind of- I think it's really important, but I also think it goes back to that thing of, it's like, what's your purpose here? You know, I think motherhood is, is a huge purpose, but also who are you really? And if you can help your children to find that through their work, then I think that's I think that's really important to try and do that. And I think that's probably why we often invest so much of our identity in work. But just on that point, I heard you speak before on another podcast about spirituality and about your connection to spirituality and a sense that sometimes you really had this connection with something greater than you or this sense of something expansive and you have this sort of deep spiritual connection and other times you lose it. And I'm really fascinated with that. So I wonder if you could explain what you mean by that. And also, do you talk to your children about spirituality and God? Oh, yeah, definitely. I find it one of the conversations I find, the younger ones are four, seven and eight. The youngest is about to be five, actually, on Sunday. But I am... I find it really interesting talking to them about what they believe in because one of my children, the seven-year-old, has a very strong sense of God and talks about God a lot. The eight-year-old absolutely doesn't believe in God at all. Yeah. The four-year-old is quite out there in what he believes in. And having a conversation with them about it is is a really interesting conversation. It makes, you know, when we're having supper or whatever, or in a car journey, it's really, yeah. really cool. About it. And I suppose Nell dying as well did make me, you know, we sort of makes you, I mean, Evangeline, my eight-year-old, was saying, where is she gone? And is she here? And that's yeah. Is she here? Isn't she here? And where is she if she's not here? Yeah. That was interesting but I do I mean I grew up going to church and then when mum had her accident I didn't you know I didn't I didn't and then for a long time but then later on in life I definitely have felt when mum died I felt really really grateful that I knew what a church was and how to use it and like how to be in a church I suppose and yeah one of the words because it was in a way, it's like ritualized emotion, you know, whether you believe in God or believe in the Bible or whatever, it's like ritualized story, ancient stories, yes. human stories, yes. and being able to, and, and I fa- have found, you know, that there's a, of course, there's a massive solemnity around death and you want to like match the solemnity of the death of this person with solemn actions sometimes as well, immediately after the death. and. You know, that means I kind of, I remember talking to Nell about it, like craving when mum died, like craving Gregorian chanting and candles. Yeah. yeah. Like really, really big, solemn feeling to match this feeling that we had inside us. 
And I definitely believe in something. I believe in God, I think. And I I kind of explore this in the book as, a lot as well, because one of the big questions in this new book is like, where are you? Where have you gone? And I enjoy it. I really enjoy talking on Instagram, actually, to people about their experiences of where they think the people that they love have gone. And yeah. And, you know, and, and sometimes looking for those signs is like a huge source of comfort, you know, whether it's a robin or a rainbow or whatever. And then sometimes it makes you feel really, like, angry as well, because is that all it is? Like, maybe you are a rainbow and that's all it is, you're a rainbow, or just is it just a rainbow as well, you know? And that interests me and that continues to interest me. And also just, we live near a place called the Ridgeway, which is this, like, ancient, ancient hills with a... Oh, yes, yes, I know, yeah. And it's, yeah, and it's covered with like ancient chalk horses and standing stones mm-hmm. and long barrows. And I love this feeling of human beings having been here and experienced so much in this area. I mean, there's got to be something else, hasn't there? It can't just be this. Like life is too weird and cosmic and massive to, to this to be the only thing. And And I guess I do believe that I think I do believe that I will like see now maybe not now as now but like I believe we will be present to one another again in some way or another so yeah it's it is definitely part of my writing and I go through stages of going to church I haven't been for a while actually I have to say but when I go I went for a bit when the children were quite a lot younger because they would like massively object to it they hated it but then when they came out of church I'd always be much better behaved for a while (laughs) Um, I do like it. I like, in a way, it's like meditation really, mm, as well. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. My family are Catholic, and we went to church when we lived in the UK. But when we left, we just haven't because we haven't really been able to find anything that fits. And it, I think it's much harder when you're sort of doing this sort of way of life. And then recently, my daughter did a, a sort of a picture at school, my eight-year-old, which is like all about me. And there were all these different parts to it. One of them was religion. And there was just this like X. And then it just sort of said nothing. <laughs> and I just thought, I had this panic. And I was like, what have I done? Like, how have I managed to just completely neglect this part of her life? You know, that kind of anxiety again. And especially because my older daughter, you know, she kind of went to a Catholic school in the UK and, and religion was quite a big part of her early childhood. So, you know, sometimes I think, how can I bring spirituality into their lives and and how can I help them with that? How can I teach them about that when there's nothing formal, you know, and and the school is is very sort of non-religious that they go to an IB school. So I do feel that it's missing, something's missing, but I can only bring it in through what I say. And often that is kind of eye rolls. Uh, as a a response (laughs) no and I think it's quite hard in a way if you for me it was important they went to church up until the pandemic we did but then we haven't since the pandemic but I felt as though they could always reject it later in life it's hard to sort of take it on yeah I don't like if it's there it's almost like something that you learn you know you just yeah, as I said, after mum died, I just suddenly was like, my God, I really, really understand how important this is now. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I just, I'm conscious that we've been talking for a while now and I've enjoyed it so much. 
And I just wanted to finish with a question about these three parts that for me sort of make up the tenderness revolution, three feelings, I suppose, or or states of being, courage, compassion, and curiosity. Because for me, those three sort of states have really helped me to find tenderness in this way of life, which I've often found challenging. But by focusing on those three states, it kind of brings me back. And I wondered if one of those really spoke to you, if you felt that, you know, one of those states was more, took up more space in your life than others. I think, gosh, they're all really, really good. It's really difficult to choose one of those. But I suppose, in a way, I suppose... I mean, I think being courageous is really, really important, like making the hard decisions. Mm. It's about communication as well. But I think probably curiosity, because if you're yeah. curious about other people and if you listen to other people, then from that basically comes, you know, people inspire you. That makes you more courageous. Being open to other people and being interested in their stories. And it's yeah. something that mum used to say to us when we were little, like, ask you know, if you're sitting next to somebody at lunch or something like that, ask them about that. Yeah. Ask them about their story. Don't talk about yourself all the time. And I just think that is actually so, so important. And I'm naturally really nosy, basically. I love hearing. That's yeah. I love hearing yeah. about other people. Yeah, me too. Why? And, you know, not celebrities, but just normal people. What is yeah. motivating normal people and why? how somebody's marriage works or why it failed or why they chose not to have children or how they overcame an accident or some, whatever it is, what their job is and what they get from that. And I just love hearing about people's lives. Yeah. I think that that is the thing that once you are interested in other people, then you are, op- you know, you're open to everything and you're yeah. learning so much from other people. Yeah. Um, so I think curiosity, curiosity in other people is really yeah. probably that is kind of for me I think is the most important of those three because everything comes from it yeah no I think that's beautiful and I I wholeheartedly agree thank you so much Clover for being on the tenderness revolution today I really appreciate it and I've enjoyed our conversation so much yeah no it's been really really lovely and I really look forward to you reading the new book because there is what we've been talking about there is so much of that in this book and to be and I'm really looking forward to being able to talk to other people about it and talk about their experiences of death or losing people and that and what it has done to them so it's been a real it's a real privilege to talk to you thank you very much thank you so much thank you for listening to this episode of the tenderness revolution I hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Tenderness Revolution. 
I hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us.